Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Um, Acts chapter 17 is, is interesting. Acts chapter 16 was very exciting. Acts chapter 16, we had an earthquake. We had a conversion. We had... Paul and Silas calling the magistrates for public justice. And so we saw it was kind of the, the sound and the fury. Acts chapter 17, if I'm being perfectly honest, when I read it at the beginning of this week, my, my first reaction was, what, why is this here? This is boring. It, it feels like the same old story over again. We see Paul go to another city, preach the gospel again, and again, there's opposition. Opposition that drives him out. So what does he do? He goes to the next city. And the same thing happens again. Slight difference that's important that we'll talk about, but very similar stories in Thessalonica and Berea. We're like, Luke, could you just have said that in like one sentence? Paul continued to preach the gospel through the Mediterranean. But there is, a, there is good news for us. And in fact, as I continued to reflect on it this week, I, I thought that this word from God is exactly what we need in this moment. This is a moment for many of us that what we need is perseverance. And perseverance is hard. And perseverance is what this calls us to. So let's hear God's word and be encouraged that God is the one who is with us in the small things, in the day in, day out of life. Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them who were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus." And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. 
We thank you that your word speaks to all of our situations, that your word is for all of our times. We pray now that this is the word that you gave us for this time. Would you make it powerful in our hearts? By the Holy Spirit, would you show each one of us what this is for us today? What you have for us today. May it change the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live this day, this week, and in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so last night I watched a movie, um, and if you've been coming regularly, you know that I, I have a, a fondness for movie references, um, and in, in solidarity with my youth group, my movie references tend to be from Star Wars and, uh, and Marvel, and sometimes The Lord of the Rings. Those are kind of my go-to movie references. Uh, the movie I watched last night was not any of those things. The movie I watched last night was Just Mercy. You may have heard it. It's been in the news, uh, so much so that Warner Brothers has made it a free rental uh, for people to watch. Just Mercy uh, is a, it's a book. It was originally a book by a man named Brian Stevenson. I read it several years ago. It was a powerful book. But like many things, the movie is even more powerful, even more heart-wrenching. Uh, there's great sadness and injustice in the movie. But ultimately, Just Mercy is a movie of hope. Uh, Brian Stevenson, if you're not familiar with the story, Brian, Brian Stevenson uh, is a lawyer. Uh, he was trained at Harvard. He grew up in Delaware, was trained at Harvard. And then in uh, the late 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, he went down to Alabama to begin the Equal Justice Initiative. And he, uh, he did this to, to defend prisoners who were on death row who had not received fair representation in their trials. And so it's a, it's a noble work. It's an important work. And the story of Just Mercy follows one man in particular, uh, Walter McMillan, whom the case against him was, was nothing. Uh, there was, it was riddled with holes. And yet he had been convicted of murder. He had been sentenced to death. In fact, even overriding the jury. The jury had convicted him, but only sentenced him to life. The judge overrode that and gave him the death penalty, despite many problems with the evidence, many failings on the part of his counsel. So Brian Stevenson comes down and he, he takes the case, and he goes, and he appeals, and he, he, he wins freedom for, uh, for Walter McMillan. Uh, he's released from death row, and the Equal Justice Initiative has continued to do this over the years. Uh, they've now, I think it's over 100, right? They've gotten over 100 death row inmates, uh, gotten them relief, gotten them released from, from wrongful convictions. So they're doing good, important work. But the thing that stands out the most about Brian Stevenson is he keeps going. First of all, he didn't, he didn't have to go to Alabama. The movie shows how his family did not want him to go to Alabama. It was dangerous. It was dangerous for him to go there. It was dangerous for him to go and represent inmates on death row. That while, you know, in retrospect from watching the movie, we can see their innocence, but for the people of the community, it had been a sense of closure. That there was a murder, and somebody was convicted, and so they wanted it to be done. They did not want somebody coming in and bringing up old wounds and stirring things up. Even in his first hearing, uh, so first there was opposition from the community, and then in his first hearing, uh, before the judge, he presents compelling evidence. The, the state's main witness recants his testimony on the stand, says that he had been pressured into lying, into framing Walter McMillan. Clear-cut evidence, and yet the judge denies the request and leaves him on death row. And we recoil at the injustice of it. And yet, Brian Stevenson did not stop. He did not stop seeking justice for Walter McMillan. 
He did not stop the work of the Equal Justice Initiative. They continue to this day seeking to give good and fair representation to those who have been accused. And we look at that and we admire it. We admire that perseverance. The men who keep going. The women who persist. Even in the face of threats to their life. They faced real threats, real persecution. And yet they kept going, working for justice. And we see that here in Paul. Paul facing very real threats to his life. He was, even though he, he won his advocacy for justice in Philippi, they came and released him publicly. They asked him to leave. They did not want him there. And so he went to the next city. The mob was stirred up there. And so he had to leave. But he went to the next city and he did it again. The mob was stirred up there. And so he had to leave. And he went to the next city. And we look at this and we admire it. And we look at ourselves and that admiration sometimes like, yeah, but I don't see that perseverance in myself. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really speaking for any of you here. I'm speaking for myself. That when things seem hard, when things seem difficult, I think, you know what? Maybe, maybe this is not the right cause. And sometimes I even dress it up in nice sounding language. I say, God is closing that door. And I'm just going to, I'm going to move on to something else. And yet we wonder, is it really that God is moving us somewhere else? Or am I really failing to live up to what God has required? So we're left with the question of how. How can Paul show this perseverance for the kingdom of God? How can the men and women who do good in our world show perseverance in their efforts? And I think we find the secret here in this passage. The secret here is the message that Paul carried. Do you see the, the emphasis here in verse 2? Paul went in, as was his custom, on three days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And verse 10, um, it, Paul went, and Silas went away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogues. synagogue. Now these Jews were noble. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were true. Paul was driven by his message. He was driven by the grace of God. Because it is the grace of God that gives us perseverance. It is the grace of God that surpasses everything else. That overcomes all obstacles. Paul had experienced the grace of God for himself. He had been one who had opposed the church. Who had opposed the work of God. And yet Paul, God, God had grabbed hold of him. Remember, we saw that back earlier in Acts on the road to Damascus. We saw Jesus strike Paul down with the light from heaven and speak to him and show him grace. And frequently throughout his, his teaching and his writing throughout the New Testament, Paul will return back to that. He will tell the story of his conversion, the story that he saw the light. He will refer to himself as the chief of sinners. He will talk about his own struggles to obey God. Because Paul was a man who had thoroughly experienced God's grace. And that grace is so powerful that it leads to action. That is what gives us perseverance. We cannot find perseverance by whipping up emotions. We cannot find perseverance by looking to things of the world. We can only find our perseverance by rooting ourselves in the grace of God. When we know deep in our hearts the grace that God has shown to us, then we can show perseverance. 
We can fight for justice. We can share God's word with others. And we can do it all in the face of opposition and persecution. But grace, grace is so abstract. And so here we see more details about what this grace involves as we look more carefully in, in chapter 17. And we see three elements of the grace of God that he offers us. First, the central part of Paul's teaching, the central part of that grace is that, uh, that God gives us his word. That God gave us his word. That's where it all comes from. It comes from the word. And what do we find there? We find there the message that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the center point, that Jesus rose from the dead. And once we see that God gave us his word, that Jesus rose from the dead, we see that the Holy Spirit creates a new community. So there are these three elements of God's grace reflecting the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in this passage. The Word, the Scriptures that tell us the truth that Jesus rose from the dead and that the Holy Spirit creates a new community. So first, the, the Scriptures tell the story. Uh, notice I already kind of looked at these, but in verse 2, He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary. And then the key difference, what was the key difference between those at Thessalonica and those at Berea? It says the Jews at Berea were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. What was the difference? They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. See, our faith as Christians is based on the story that God has given us. And we have to be rooted in this story. We have to. We have to. We know, we know that stories are important. We know this from our heart. We know uh, this. I was just talking about the movie. Why, are mo why do movies touch us? Because they tell stories. They give us narratives. They help us to make sense of the world. Why are there, there so many, um, why is there so much unrest right now in our country? So many protests, so much anger, so much fear. It's because a few incidents the few recent incidents are not on their own. They play into a story. They play into a story of history. And when we embrace that story, when, we, we, when all we have is the story of American history, we can say, will it ever get better? Will it ever change? Will we always be stuck with racial division? Will we always be stuck with injustice? And we see instances of injustice now, and we see... Uh, we see instances of police brutality now. And while some look at them and say, oh, these are isolated, these are just instances, others say this is part of a long story of American history. And that story has a hold on us. And we cannot deny the truth of that story. But the scriptures tell us a new story, a better story. And we have to embrace the story of the scriptures. See, the Jews that were listening here, the Jews that did not respond to Paul, they were stuck in a story too. They were stuck in a story that said that their race was God's special race. That they were the only people that God cared about. And that, yeah, other people could, become, could join if they would become just like Jews. And Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures to say, no, God's story, you're missing the point. God's story has always been for the whole world. The story has always been salvation for the world. The Gentiles were always to be a part of it. 
The whole point of the people of Israel was to be a light to the nations, to be a blessing to the world. They had been blessed that they might be a blessing. And so we as Christians today have to embrace this story that the scriptures tell us, that the scriptures are where we find the story of justice, the story of righteousness. And so when we look at our world and we see things that are amiss, things that are not right, we have to bring them into line with the scriptures that say all people are created in the image of God. All people can be part of his kingdom. We have to look carefully at the scriptures to see for ourselves what is it that we have unconsciously embraced as the story of our culture. Whether it's the story of our American culture, whether it is the story of a particular church subculture. The things that we've said, oh, this is just what it means to be a Christian. And we have to test those things against the scriptures. Say, what does the Bible say about being a Christian? What does the Bible say about following Jesus? The Bible gives us words for lament. It gives us words for sorrow. It gives us words to recognize injustice. But it also shows us where the story is going. And so as we mourn with those who mourn, as we, as we pray, as we even march, as we even work for justice, we do not do so as those without hope. Because we also see the vision at the end. The vision from our call to worship this morning was the throne room of heaven with people from every tribe and language and nation and tongue gathered around the Lamb, shouting glory. That is the story that we have as Christians. That is the story that we cling to. That is the story that gives us perseverance. So the scriptures tell us the story. They give us our norms. And then the center point, uh, the center point of Paul's message. What was he explaining from the scriptures? Verse 3, proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer always suffering and to rise from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ that's the center of it that's the center of it all it's why our church is called resurrection community because we are centered on the resurrection of Jesus this was the center of Paul's teaching it was the center of the teaching of the rest of the Apostles all of them knew that it was about Jesus that his resurrection had changed everything. This is where we find our hope. So if you're here this morning wondering what hope is there, what does it even mean to be a Christian? I don't know what this is all about. I hear so many different things, so many different stories, so many things I've grown up with, things that I've heard from other people, things I see on the internet. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, to know that Christ has suffered that Christ has risen from the dead, and that Christ reigns on high. Everything else flows from that. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. When I doubt, when I struggle, when I wonder, is this all worth it? Is this pastoring thing worth it? Is this church thing worth it? Is it worth it to set up these tents in the wind? Is it worth it to find new places to worship? Is it worth it to spend time in prayer? To spend time working for justice? to spend time reaching out to different people. Is this worth it? Could I just go and do my own thing and enjoy good food and drink? Is this Bible true? When I wonder that, I go back to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is one of the most solid facts in all of history. That Jesus was a man who really lived and really died. And his body was not in the tomb anymore. And from that solid fact, everything else flows. 
then the teaching of the apostles is true. Then the scriptures that they trusted in were true. And all of it is true because Jesus rose from the dead. And with that as our starting point, with that as our foundation, we can do anything. I was reading a fascinating speech um, from a pastor named Micah Edmondson. He's a pastor, uh, he's just coming into, he's coming from a sister denomination, but he's joining uh, the PCA, joining our denomination in Nashville. Now, Mike Edmondson is a pastor and he's a theologian. Uh, he has a PhD in systematic theology. And he's also somewhat of a, of a student of history. Uh, he's an African-American pastor who's extensively studied the civil rights movement and also paid attention to contemporary culture. And he was giving uh, a fascinating talk to the, to the Council of the Gospel Coalition, which is a, an organization of, of gospel-focused uh, Christian leaders who work together to do a lot of good things. And he was talking about, he was comparing and contrasting the, uh, the civil rights movement of the 60s with the Black Lives Matter movement of today. And it was a fascinating comparison because, of course, uh, he had much to commend in the heart and spirit of the Black Lives Matter movement. If you're not familiar, it's a very decentralized movement. So it's hard to say exactly uh, that there's one thing or another. You can see different things from different parts of it. But overall, it's, it's espousing many of the same goals, seeking justice, using nonviolence, seeking awareness. Of course, the core message, Black Lives Matter, is one that everybody uh, who believes in the image of God would affirm. But one of the things that Micah Edmondson noted, the biggest difference is the civil rights movement of the 60s was centered in the Black Baptist Church. And it was controlled by the leaders of the church. And that gave it a solidity and a foundation that is hard to replicate with the dispersed Black Lives Matters movement. And so we can see some of their positive goals, but we can also see places where they go astray. And we can see things where like, yeah, we really can't get on board with that. And we wonder how much staying power it has because they need the foundation of the resurrection. So then the question for us is, what would it be? But his lament, Pastor Edmondson's lament, is that people have embraced the Black Lives Matter movement because there is no alternative within the church. And his cry is there for us. Where is the cry within the church that will be the same, that will stand on the solid rock of Jesus' resurrection, on the story of Scripture, to cry for justice, to cry for healing, to call out for righteousness, to affirm the image of God in all people and the value of that. And so that is for each of us what to consider. Where can we stand on the resurrection of Jesus and where does that take us? So what does that mean for us today? It means that if you don't know Jesus, if you have not put your faith in his resurrection, in him, in a relationship with him, that is what you need today more than anything else. No amount of marching or protesting is going to get you that. No amount of, of anger will get you what you want. What you want is found in a relationship with Jesus. It really is the answer. So this morning, if you, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to do so. Not just encourage, I would plead with you to do so. That you might know him and the power of his resurrection that that might become your solid rock, that you might know the forgiveness of your sins and experience peace and healing, that you might be able to forgive others when they have done wrong against you, that you might be able to stand up with perseverance. It is found in the resurrection of Jesus.
And for those of you who have embraced that, who know Him, who have put your faith in Him, the question is, what is God calling you to do? Few of us, to be perfectly honest, very, very few of us are called to be leaders like Martin Luther King. Very few of us are even called to be leaders like Mike Edmondson, speaking and writing. Most of us are called to our own places of influence. We all have our own families, our own friends, where we are called to be witnesses for Jesus, to display in our lives His goodness, to talk and think together about what it means to work for righteousness. We're called to exercise our political rights, as we saw last week, to vote for those who will do good, those who will do right, to advocate for policies that are good. I said last week that I don't know exactly what those policies are, and I don't, but I encourage you to figure them out, to figure out what is right and good, to listen to others, but it must be founded on the resurrection of Jesus. And then from there, we can go anywhere. Because what did that resurrection do? Our name, I said our church name is Resurrection because we're centered on the resurrection of Jesus, but it is not just resurrection. It is resurrection community. Because what we have seen over and over throughout Acts is that the Holy Spirit creates a new community founded on the resurrection of Jesus. Do you see that here? What happened when Paul got in trouble? Where did they go? They went to the house of Jason because they thought that's where Paul had been. Jason and some of the brothers. Yeah, that was in verse, uh, verse 6. Jason and some of the brothers. And then in verse 10, the brothers immediately sent him. In verse 14, the brothers immediately sent Paul. We get the brothers, the brothers, the brothers. And if you, had a, if you have a physical Bible, you'll look and see a, a recurring note, at least in, in this translation, in the ESV translation, that the word brothers could perhaps be translated brothers and sisters, that the Greek word refers to siblings in a family. Because that is what Jesus has done through his resurrection. He has created a new family. What are we as a church? We are not just an organization. We are not just people consuming goods from one another. We are a new family that God has created. And family is important. We care for our family. We listen to our family. It makes a difference in how we see the world. I was just reading an article from a, a man named David French. Uh, David French, uh, some of you may have heard of him. He's a conservative commentator. He's also a member of our denomination. He belongs to a church in Tennessee, uh, pastored by a friend of mine. And, uh, but he's a, he's a relatively well-known writer. So David French is, is one of our closer brothers. Um, and David French was writing about how, uh, how his perspective was changed when his family was changed. David French and his wife were both white. They had two white daughters, and they were living a very happy, peaceful life, treating everybody the same, treating everybody well, not harboring hatred or bias or anything towards anybody. And then they adopted a daughter from Ethiopia, a daughter who was not white, and then they started to see things they hadn't seen before. And the stories that they had heard, kind of in the abstract, became much more real. When they saw their own daughter have a friend say that she couldn't come over to their house because it wasn't safe to go to a black person's house. When they saw her daughter, her, their third daughter, 
be followed and questioned in stores for what she was doing when their first two daughters had never been questioned in such a way. And he just talked about how these are the stories that you hear, but it just is different when it's your family, when it's your child. And so when, when, uh, the, when the resurrection of Jesus through the Holy Spirit creates a new community, when we hear these stories from our Christian brothers and sisters, they become our stories because they're part of our family. We say, that should not be. That is not right. And we mourn with our family members. And we fight for our family members. And we seek justice for our family members. And like I said at the beginning, like I said before, this is a matter of perseverance. This is not a one-day fight. Paul's mission here, at, you know, this, I said this passage was kind of boring. It's not the last one that's going to be kind of boring. There's going to be more repetition in Acts. There's going to be more times where you say, huh, Paul preached the word. Some people believed in him. Some people didn't. There was a riot. It drove him out of town. We're going to see that again. Because this is the story that God tells us. The scriptures tell us the story. That there is hardship and pain and suffering in this world. But they're calling us to a different place. Because this story centers around Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And his resurrection from dead, the dead that gives us the solid rock that we can stand on. And by the Holy Spirit creates a new community that we can walk together in something the world has never seen. A community that brings people together who are not like one another. That truly brings together people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. That sees those people come together in a local church that reflects the beauty of its local community. And comes together, joining together with churches from around the world. That every Sunday we remember that we are not just ourselves here. We gather our voices with those from all around the world. In all different situations. Some in church buildings. Some in others in tents like this. Others just down by the river. Others in house churches in secret. And yet we gather together as one family. With our Savior Jesus who has brought us together. And the story gives us hope. What happened here in verse 4? Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. Verse 12, many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. God's grace is so powerful, so compelling that it kept Paul going. So powerful and compelling that it brought together new communities in Thessalonica and in Berea so powerful and compelling that it can change our world today. That is grace that will sustain us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you give us this new story, that you change and transform us. Would you grab hold of our hearts by your grace, that we may know it with such confidence, that we may be changed and transformed to speak your word of truth to others, to offer them the hope of Jesus, to seek and work for justice and righteousness in this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.